Well, if you turn in your Bibles to the book of James, we uh, began to get into the text of James. We're doing a series on James, and I was saying it's important that, thank God for topical preaching, preaching on this and preaching on that. We call that systematic theology or systematic teaching, where you look at what the Bible says about a particular topic. We do that at the five o'clock teaching service. We've done the end times. But also it's important to study the word of God as he gave it to us. And he gave us the word of God in many different forms, in poetic forms, in historical forms, biographical forms, uh, gospel forms, uh, and letter forms. And the book of James is a letter by a specific person to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. And so wouldn't it be a shame if in our Christian lives we never actually gave time to studying the Word of God as God gave it to us. And so I think that important in our lives that every so often, that's what we do here at the teaching service, we stop and take some time and deal with Scripture as it was given to us. We've done the book of Galatians here. We've done the Sermon on the Mount and uh, it brings something into our understanding that we can never get purely through topical or thematic preaching. And last week, we began in the book of James. I'm going to read with you uh, the section that we're going to, we looked at last week and the section that we're going to look at this week. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Last week we spoke a little bit about the author of James, and we said that the author of James is James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. Some people think that the book of James is written by the Apostle James, but um, the Apostle James, he, uh, he died very early on. If you go to Acts chapter 12, you see that Herod put James the Apostle to death. This James that we're talking about, who wrote this epistle, he is the James that was the leader of the church of Jerusalem in, the, in, 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 in most of, of Acts. So when in Acts chapter 15 you have the great council of Jerusalem, it's not Peter that's in charge of all the proceedings, it's James, James the brother of Jesus. He got saved after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus uh, was raised and appeared to many people, one of which, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, was James his own brother. And so James was the leader of the Jerusalem church and he was very Jewish in his Christianity. And uh, all his life was spent in Jerusalem until he was martyred in charge of the Jerusalem church and ministered to the Jews. He never really had much contact with the Gentile mission of Paul um, uh, at all. 
And the book of James, I'm convinced that the book of James is the earliest book written in the New Testament. Well, it's a letter, of course. And the reason being is that it seems that James wrote this letter um, straight after the persecution that began with Stephen in Acts. After Stephen was martyred, the uh, Jewish Christians, the Jewish Christians, because that's all there was at that time, Jewish Christians, were scattered right out to Palestine. And that's why in verse 1 we see James writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Uh, he doesn't, in his book or letter, anywhere talk about Gentiles. It was before Paul had even began the Gentile mission. And that's why the book of James is very Jewish in its understanding of the gospel. It doesn't mention the Gentiles. And you can tell that, that this book is written by James in many ways. For example, the Jewishness of it and the way that he speaks is often compared with his brother Jesus, his use of symbols and, uh, and great illustrations like the tongue being like the rudder on a big ship or, or the bit in the mouth of a horse. Also, scholars have taken the book of James and they've compared it with James's speech in Acts chapter 15 and seen parallels in the way that he addresses people. Uh, but we're moving into the book of James today and we are saying this, that James is one of the most misunderstood books in the New Testament. It's important, and we'll see this when we come to chapter 2 very soon, to understand that James is speaking to Christians. Never once in the book of James is he telling you how to get saved or how to get to heaven. This will be very important when we get to chapter 2, where he talks about a fact that we are not just justified by faith, but justified by works. Many people thought that the, that the letter of James is teaching something different than the letter of Galatians and Romans. Uh, but we'll see that's not the case at all. Galatians and Romans, the first half of Romans, is speaking about how to get saved. But here in James, he's speaking to those who are already saved, and he's saying, why don't you put your faith to work to deal with the tests and trials of life? And that's the subject of the book of James. How to get through the tests and trials of life. How to put your faith to work in your life and see results. He starts, as we've just read, with tests and trials. And uh, when we get to the end, James chapter 5, he finishes with tests and trials. He uses the picture of Job and how he went through his tests and trials. He use, uses the prayer of Elijah and how he prayed to bring rain. He uses the prayer of faith to bring healing to those that are going through the trial of faith. He uses the picture at the end of James of a farmer waiting patiently, having sown for the harvest. The book of James is all about how to face difficulties and trials on the earth and to be victorious. And so last week we saw how um, James, and of course if you missed last week you can go up on the internet onto our media uh, section and you can find that and catch up with us. But last week we spoke about how James was saying, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. And we said what a strange thing it was to count it all joy when you face various trials. Normally when a trial comes, the last thing that you feel is joyful. On the contrary, you feel sorrowful. But James is speaking from the perspective of faith and trust in God. 
He knows that any test or difficulty that comes our way, that God knew it was going to come and that God is Lord of the test, Lord of the trial, and therefore he will bring us through it. So James has a fearlessness about trials and tests and difficulties. I don't believe he's talking about the trials and tests that we, we make of our own, which is our own fault when we sin. Do you know what I mean? If you look back at your life, some of the things you'll regret will be things that you did that you shouldn't have done. Isn't that right? You wish you'd never done that. You wish you'd never been angry. You, you wish you'd never got into that sinful situation. And you paid a price for that, didn't you? And thank God, God is the redeemer and he can redeem even those things. But God doesn't, isn't talking about consider it all joy, brethren, when you sin and get into trouble. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the tests and trials, not just that come to us in life, but the tests and trials of a true disciple of Jesus. How many of you know that the tests and trials of a true disciple of Jesus are very different than the tests of trials of a simple believer who's not walking in the Lord? You know, a lot of people dodge the tests and trials of being a true, true believer. Many people don't witness to their neighbors or their friends because they're scared they might have to face the trial of rejection. And so sometimes what can happen in a Christian's life is that trials or tests that we're to go through are actually that which cause us to become strong disciples. And we say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So this isn't just the tests and trials of life, although it is, that come your way. This is also the tests and trials of a disciple. And last week in my devotional and prayer times, I was thinking about people like Paul and James and the apostles and the tests and trials that they went through that they might not have gone through if they hadn't been a disciple. Interesting thought, isn't it? And I thought to myself, uh, what about Paul? What if he never really went on the Gentile mission? Or what if he went a little bit on the Gentile mission, started a few churches, got quite a few people, and then just stayed there? I thought, what if he just did a bit of the Gentile mission, or not of all? Just say he did a little bit, just planted a church. And I was thinking of all the tests and trials that he wouldn't have had to go through, the difficulties, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the imprisonments, all of those things that he wouldn't have gone through if he hadn't obeyed his call with all that was in him. He'd have had, he could have had quite a nice, peaceful Christian life, couldn't he? And then I thought some of the other apostles and what they did, and, and that challenged me in my personal devotions, and I thought to myself, you know, don't fear, don't fear the future, and, and don't, don't, you know, don't not go forward with God to avoid trials. Because if Paul had done that, how many people would not have been touched with the gospel? And Paul said, I consider all these trials nothing compared to the weight of glory. Paul had a perspective on trials very similar to James. I mean, if we really did, and I don't know if anybody's there. If you're, if you're there, you're, you're there better than me. I don't think there's anybody here that, that has got to a place where you're absolutely over the moon when a trial comes. That when your boss is giving you a trouble or something happens financially, you go, yes, glory to God. I've been waiting for this trial. Things have been far too blessed. Things have been far too easy. This is, I just lost my job. Praise you, Lord. Another chance for victory. I don't think you, you would do that. But Paul and James were so close to God 
and his sovereignty that they knew that whatever came their way as they followed him, Jesus is Lord. And there would be. And, and I hope that we will grow in our faith to get closer and closer. Maybe not to consider it all joy to begin with, but maybe even enough would be, okay, this is a trial, but Lord, you're with me and you'll go through it with me. Just to get to the place where, all right, you might, we might not yet be at the high level of discipleship that considers it all joy, but it would be great if we get away of considering it all fear and worry and anxiety and concern. And getting to the place where we say, we'll go through this, through this together, Lord. You are Lord, not man, not the enemy. You are in charge. This isn't a surprise to you. And there is purpose in this trial. Well, I mentioned last week, I can't help but mention it again, that Abraham, when Abraham believed the promise that he would have a son, Isaac, um, it pleased God and he was justified by faith, it says. And he was righteous before God. He simply said yes to God. But it was a long way and many trials and tests and trials, wasn't it? Until Isaac came. And he had a lot of maturing to do, didn't he, Abraham? He, 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 um, he rejected the trial a few times of faith. He had his Ishmael. Ishmael was a, a, a rejection of trusting God. It was an attempt to shortcut the test, wasn't it? It was an attempt. He lacked patience or endurance, as we see in verse 3. He lacked patience and endurance. He tried to shortcut the test of believing God till Isaac came by having Ishmael. And then when trouble came, twice he gave up his wife, Sarah, who was going to be the mother of Isaac, and said, she's my sister. Again, fear of what would happen to him and not trust in God. Uh, but God delivered him and kept him on that road of discipleship Till as we said last week, he got to that place where God says, take up your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. By that time, Abraham considered it all joy because he said, God, you gave me Isaac and you promised that in him would be my seed. So if you're asking me to sacrifice him, fine, I'll do it. I've grown to understand what trials are. But I know that if I sacrifice Isaac and he dies, you'll have to raise him from the dead. And this was the God of Abraham of Romans chapter 4, whom believed God. What God did Abraham believe? Romans 4. Who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. That is the God of Abraham. And that's the God that God wants us to experience and knowledge. And so have patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, the end is to be in a place of no lack. But there is a time of endurance in some translations or patience. The real word there is faith produces endurance, patience. This is a fruit of the Spirit. And what does that mean? It means you, and this will help us when we come, it means you're not easily shaken. You're not easily shaken. You can endure. You can take it. Why? Because you've taken it before and you realize that God is with you. You're not easily shaken or worried when things come into the life or you have to face things or opposition comes. You don't start, your knees don't start knocking because you've said, yeah, I've been here before. Well, not, I haven't been to this trial before, but I've been to other trials. And so I know that God's with me. I've got nothing to fear and I can endure this trial. And although it's going on longer than I want, there will be the blessing at the end of it. God is in control. And of course, the important thing about trials and God's promises is that God can give you the deliverance at any time he wants. 
any time he wants. So why doesn't he? Because actually more than getting the object of your faith, more than getting the blessing, is the character that's being formed in you. So Abraham, when God said you'll have a son, his name will be Isaac, he could have given it to him, couldn't he? Nine months. He could do it before, but nine months. Nine months' time. But he didn't. Years and years and years, decades passed. Why? Because what God was doing, God could have given Isaac at any time, but more important to God was forming Abraham into the man of God we see at the end of his life. So understand this. When you go through testings and trials, that actually God more than delivering you, which eventually he will, or bringing the blessing through, actually his attention is on what's going on in you and how you're dealing with the trial. God's priority is your character forming. Because the stronger he can make you, the less you're going to be anxious and worried and concerned about things that will come your way. You're going to be strong, stable, secure. I don't know about you, that's what I want to be. I want to be strong, stable, secure, and unshakable. I'm none of those things, but I want to be those things. And so when difficulties come, I'm getting to the place where I'm learning this lesson, where I'm going, okay, I don't like this. But you know what, Lord, you're in control. And I'm going to pray to you, and you'll bring me through this. And and even my mistakes won't ruin it, because I'm genuinely looking to you. In my weakness and my mistakes, I'm looking to you. And I know that we're going to get through this, that there's always a time limit on the trial, and that when I come out of it, I'll be stronger, better, more peace, more faith, in a better position than I would before. And like I've said last week, there are trials that I've been through in my life that I never, ever want to go through again. But I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. And, and, and each of us can have situations like this. I'm not wishing trials on you. Don't be fearful. Oh no, what's God got lined up for me next? It's not like that. But what, and God, God has a personal journey for each one of us. So you don't have to look at my life and my trials. You probably don't even know what they are. You don't have to look at those and say, oh, I have to go through those. No, God, God never tests us beyond where we are and who we are. And God will never give a test to us that is for somebody else. The test will always fit us, who we are, where we are. You say, oh, I'm too weak for this test. No, you're facing it. You're just right, in the right place for it, okay? But so some of the things we've gone through, you say, I'd never want to go through that again. I agree. But isn't it true? It's made you who you are today. So sometimes we can understand that. Now, We move on from saying this into verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And uh, he who gives generously and without approach, and it will be given him. This is usually the first thing that you need to pray for when you get into a test, a trial, or opposition, or anything like that. Wisdom. Wisdom. Because... Don't you find, I find, that when a test or a trial or a difficulty or a mountain comes into your life, the first thing that it can sow is confusion. What's going on? Hey, where did this come from? What's going to happen? I don't understand it. What am I meant to do? How am I meant to respond to this trial? I don't know what to, I feel powerless. You know what I'm saying? Trials come in and immediately there's fear sitting at the door. 
confusion. Why is this happening to me, Lord? Anybody ever said that? Why is this happening to me or why is this happening? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Why would you allow it? I mean, imagine how Job felt. You know the book of Job? When, it, when he had no idea what was going on in the spiritual realm, he had no idea that God was still God and that he'd said to Satan, these things I will allow to happen, Satan, to him, but there's a line drawn. You cannot take his life. Do you know God is the one who draws the line? Nothing can happen to you when God draws, he says, God can say, this can happen, I'll allow it for my purposes, but there are limits to my allowance. Isn't that wonderful? You're not in a position where unlimited things can happen to you. God will always set the boundary of the trial, not Satan, God. And when that stuff happened to Job and it was a a number of successive things, bang, 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 just as he, he thought it couldn't get worse, it did. Just as he thought it couldn't get worse, I don't know if that's English, but it got worse or more worse. And so, but he didn't know that God had set the limit. He didn't know that what he was going through was going to be 30, 40 books of scripture. He didn't know. If he'd known, if at the beginning he'd known, Job, you're going to go through something, but don't worry, you'll be seven times more blessed in every area that you go through at the end. I just want to let you know that. And also, this is going to be a powerful portion, a great portion of Scripture, of my holy word, is going to be through what you're going through and the pain and anguish and betrayal of your friends that, and the words that you speak in anguish and fear. It's going to go down in the word of God. I think he'd be able to face it a lot better, wouldn't he? He didn't know that, you see. And so we need faith, and we're going to come to faith, because we need to know that, hey, wait a second, God knows. God understands. God set the limit. But the first thing you need is wisdom. Wisdom. Um, but when you ask for wisdom to face a trial, uh, James is very, very strong. He says, look, first of all, I want you to know that if you ask God for wisdom, um, that God is generous in giving it. And secondly, he won't tell you off for asking for it. Now, when we're talking about wisdom, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the knowledge to know what to say and what to do, or not what to do, and what not what to say, that will get you through the trial that you're in. Wisdom to James and to the Jewish people is intensely practical. It's not philosophical. It's practical. Have you ever read the book of Proverbs? There's not, it, it, there's not much philosophy there in a sense. It's all earth and the way you treat people, the way treat people treat you, how to treat God. It's practical. If you live the book of Proverbs, you'll li- you, you will live a blessed life. And, uh, uh, and the first rule of all wisdom in Proverbs is fear the Lord. And that doesn't mean be scared of him. It means reverent him, reverence him. Understand, give, treat the Lord with fear. He's in control. He's Lord. He's King, not your circumstance, not that person that is opposing you. So wisdom will give you the understanding that you need to go through the trial, the perception. It'll give you the words to say or not to say and the actions to do or not to do. Sometimes wisdom says, stay, don't do anything. Sometimes wisdom says, speak, act. Now, When you ask for wisdom, you don't always get that wisdom immediately. 
You don't know. It's like I wish, like, like if Job had gone, what's going on? Lord, give me wisdom. And God says, yes, don't worry. Let me explain what's going on. Seven it doesn't come like that. Often when you're walking in wisdom, you have to keep walking in faith and trust. Sometimes God will give you an insight. I mean, I've been in situations, I'm sure you have, where you're in a situation, and God just gives you insight into the person maybe that you're dealing with or gives you wisdom and you just think, do you know what? I nearly lost my temper, but I just felt that I shouldn't. And it was the wisdom of the Lord. Sometimes God will not give you all the wisdom package together, but sometimes it's just day by day being open to the Lord and saying, Lord, just lead me, lead me. And as you step day by day, your wisdom is sufficient for the day. And you walk into the wisdom of the moment. The wisdom of them. I found that sometimes because sometimes I've been like, God, I need wisdom. I need it now. I don't know what to do. Can you tell me what to do, please? Silence. Well, I've got to go into this meeting. I've got to go through this day. I've got to go. Can you tell me what am I meant to say? Because what you do in a trial, don't you, is you think of every possible angle, all the things you should do, you shouldn't do, and you get even more mixed up about it than you were beforehand, trying to figure out a way to deal with it. And sometimes God said nothing. So I'm like, I'm going in here blind, Lord. If any man lacks wisdom, seek the Lord and he'll give it because he's generous, not going to tell you off. And I'm going into this situation. I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I guess I just trust you. Is that right? You know, he doesn't even answer that. Well, well, I've got no choice. But then you go into the meeting or the situation and you just trust in the Lord. And you know what? Wisdom comes during it. So don't fear if you don't get it all sorted out. You know, the, the, you know, you get the trial, the circumstance, the difficulty. Don't fear if you don't suddenly get total insight, total wisdom, all the words to say, all the acts to do, what to, what not to do. Because sometimes God will say, just walk, in with, just walk with me. Just trust me. But of course, other times he will give you insights. He'll give you an insight into a situation. You'll begin to see it as it is and not as you fear it to be. He'll give you wisdom. He'll show you what to do, what to say. He, 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 you'll, you'll have that sort of flash of wisdom or that intuition of what you should be doing or not doing. And often God will do that as well. But the biggest thing is, is don't panic. He will give you, he promises that he will give you wisdom. So even if you don't have the words or the insight at the moment, don't worry. Have you asked for it? Yes. Do you believe he's going to give it to you? Yes, then relax as much as you can <laughs> go forward but the big thing is is to believe and to trust that he has given it to you or will give it to you at the right time because verse 6 says let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind now there's one of those beautiful jewish pictures that is james but so like james and his half brother jesus uh, that, that picture says everything about, some, about us when we face trials without faith and without wisdom. Because when you face a trial without faith or without wisdom, then that's exactly what like you are. You are a wave of the sea. 
you are driven and tossed by the wind. Whatever happens, you, you aren't making progress. The trial or test just picks you up and throws you in one direction, picks you up and throws you in another direction. You don't know what's going on. You don't understand it. You're angry because of it. You're fearful because of it. You're perplexed because of it. And, and, and it is just throwing you around. And the trial is dominating you, suffocating you, pressing you down, beating you up. And nothing of any value is taking place because you're being tossed around. It's just totally destructive experience. But if you ask in faith with no doubting, you'll be the absolute opposite. What will be the absolute opposite? It means nothing will be able to toss you. Nothing will be able to throw you around. And that's where God wants us to grow in. God wants us to be immovable. God wants us to face trial or blessing with the same faith. God wants a people that the world cannot affect or control, that, that we get to a place where Whatever comes our way, God's with us and we're not afraid. For in this life you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. God wants us to be mature, fearless, and able to handle anything that comes our way. And so when we ask God of wisdom, you've got to trust him. You've just got to trust him, really. This is what it's talking about. To trust, trust him. And then it says, for let not a man suppose he receive anything from the Lord if he doesn't ask in faith with no doubting. You see, this is all about God's character. If you ask God, do you really believe that he, that he is who he is? When you go to God in prayer, do you really believe that he hears you in prayer? When you're in a situation and you ask him to help him, do you trust him? I mean, these are foundational Christian principles because if we're not growing in our trust of God, we're not growing. So if you're throwing up, you know, just hopes, just throwing up prayers, panic prayers. Sometimes when we panic, we pray. I understand that. Sometimes I, when I panic pray, I have to hold myself back. I just keep praying. I just keep praying. I just keep praying. I just keep praying. It's a panic prayer. I remember my wife won't mind me sharing it. Uh, Jake had an exam and uh, one of his first GCSEs. And I said, I'm going to pray during it. It's a performance for his um, drama, GCSE, 7 to 7.30. So I think when I'm at home, I'll pray, I'll pray while he's doing it. But during the day, I found time to pray. And I dealt with it in prayer. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, that's it. I've done my bit in prayer. I feel confident and I trust God. And then about 10 to 7, Nicholas said, so you're going upstairs then to pray. I'll be doing it in 10 minutes. And I said... No, and I suddenly felt panic because I did say, no, no, I, no, I've prayed for it. I'm confident. And she said, oh, well, I'm going to go out and pray. Now, I'm not saying that she shouldn't have prayed or not, but sometimes what can happen is you can panic pray. You think if you're not praying, it's all going to go wrong. Or you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, and you're praying, and you think, I haven't prayed enough, so you're praying, and you pray. Oh, and you pray the same prayer over again and over again and over again and over again. Sometimes you need to stop and ask yourself, is this effective? Is this effective? And there's times when I've panic prayed and I've thought to myself, what are you doing? Well, calm down. Trust God. 
You think that if you just keep saying it over and over and over again, it's going, that, that the speed of your prayers and your constant prayers is, is, is going to actually you know, change something. Better that you go with your heart open, connect with God, talk honestly with him about your panic and your fear, and then pray, and pray in trust, and pray in faith. God, I'm panicking, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I don't know what to do, I'm, but you know what, God, I'm just going to come to you right now. I'm not going to panic pray. I'm not just going to start you know, babbling on. I'm just going to say, God, I need your help. I pray for this, that, and the other, and I place it in your hands. And then have faith enough to stop praying. Have faith enough to stop praying. And I'm that worry, no, I've prayed. I'm not saying you don't pray again in the evening or whatever, but you don't pray out of panic. You don't pray out of panic. That's someone being tossed left, right, and center that's not really trusting God, but is putting trust in a mechanical prayer. And um, he says, for let not man, that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. So the only thing you have to be, care- only thing you have to be careful of is, are you actually trusting him? And, and this isn't like, oh, have I got enough faith? I don't think I've got enough faith. That means I'm going to, you know, the devil's a liar and so is our mind. If it sees anything that can ruin it, it'll jump on it. Oh, Bruce just said, he read from the Bible and says, if you don't ask in faith, it all goes wrong. Well, what is faith? Oh, I don't have enough faith. It's not that, just trust him. Like a child holds the hand of its father or mother and just trusts. It's not about working up faith. It's about trusting. It's like, God, I feel all over the place, but you know what? I'm just trusting you. I'm just believing you with me despite my emotions and the difficulties that are going on. I choose to trust you, Lord. Help me. That's all he's asking for. I believe you said you'd give me wisdom. And that very trusting can bring peace into your heart as you give it over to him and, and know that he is in control. And then in verse 8, it says this. He is a double-minded man, this person who doesn't ask in faith. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, that word double-minded mean in, in, the, in the Greek is two-souled. Soul, as in a soul. That you're double-souled. I'm not talking about shoes, but your soul. Or let it put it this way. You've got a split personality. Because you're a human being, you're a soul, one soul. But this is talking about this man being double-minded, having two minds or two souls. Now, when I thought about this, I thought, you know, that's exactly what happens. That's, that's exactly the growing things. Because I know, when I've, I've known during situations of circumstances, when I've been praying to the Lord about them, and I've prayed, you know, deep into the night on my bed, and I've prayed, and I've got to the place where I've prayed through, not panic prayer, praying through and then I've got a victory and I'm no longer fearing or believe something or that the situation I believe is in God's hand and I'm trusting and I've got a victory and as as I close my eyes I'll say yes Lord your will be done this is going I'm I'm not fearing anymore and then I wake up in the morning and I'm a different person How how could just a few dreams just going to sleep all that that I achieved before I went to bed and I'm putting my eyes shut down saying, I'm just trusting you, Lord. I got the victory. Then I wake up in the morning. Huh? Oh my God, what's happening? I can't do it. What's going to, oh God, oh God. I'm thinking, what? It's a... One man went to bed in faith and another man woke up. 
or during the day, or during the day. Sometimes you ha- I have this, you know, when I'm going through these things, and it's called growing. I have these split personalities. You know, one, one, one what, during the day I'm walking, I'm, yep, I'm just trusting the Lord. What's the worst thing that can happen? God is in control. God knows what's happening. God is with me. Even he'll cover my mistakes because I'm trusting him. I'm just believing God. And then all of a sudden, you know, hmm, this is looking a bit worse. Than, and I start to, and you know, it's like good Bruce, bad Bruce. Faith Bruce, unbelieving Bruce. Which one's going to manifest? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you've prayed or you've been, and you're like, yeah, I feel that confidence in God. Whatever happens, me and God. And then like two hours later, you're like a jellyfish. Oh God, oh God, it's all going wrong. It's all going wrong. And then like, I trust you, Lord. I believe in you. And then it's like, why did you let it happen to me? Why can't you solve it? What's the matter with you? I've had enough of this. I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. I, I'm giving up. I'm punching out. You sort it out, you know. Well, that's the double-mindedness. But don't worry about that. Understand it. It's called growing. It's called growing. And what you want is the split personality to be less and less. What you want is you, the woman of faith, and just trusting God. You, the man of faith, and trusting God. You want that person to be more and more evident and the other one, the unbelieving, scared, you know, angry, you want that other, that double, that's, that's the thing you want to put down. That's the thing you want to get rid of. And so this double-minded, when the wrong mind turns up, acknowledge it. But sometimes we don't even know what we're going through. It's like, what's happening? And so at least when I woke up that morning and I went, oh my God, I thought, wait a second, this is exactly what James said. And I put, closed my eyes and I was trusting the Lord. The, the circumstance hasn't changed while I've been asleep. I woke up and I'm feared, trembling, worried. What's this? It's just the double-mindedness. And this mind that I've woken up with, God doesn't want me to be like this. God wants me to be like when I went to bed. And so I'm going to just get myself stable again. I'm not going to get tossed around all day by this part of a double mind. I'm going to go back to my single-minded trust of my Father. And often when I go through trials, the thing that I need to do is not even necessarily pray through. It's to remind me of who God is. Who he really is. To say, wait a second, Bruce, stop, stop, stop. Why are you worried? He is the Lord. He's in control. Quieten yourself. Don't get tossed around Go back and realize God is with you. Hasn't he been with you in every other trial that you've been through? Yes, he has. Didn't he bring you through in the end? Yes. Although you wouldn't want to go through many of them again, aren't you glad you went through them once? I am now there finished, yes. Double-minded. So we see straight away that we need to understand that trials are there for our victory for us to grow and to be strong. That God is working. That's why sometimes you get this double-mindedness. Because God is working. God is, God is revealing the weaknesses and confirming your strengths. So you know, how, do you, how would I ever know what it was like to be strong man of faith and jelly man of weakness 
if I never had a trial to show me. I mean, there are some Christians that run from trials. I'm not talking about you here, but there's some Christians that organize their lives to be as, and their whole purpose, they may not consciously know this, but their whole purpose is to make their life as trial-free as possible. So they'll get, they'll get as much money possible because then they don't have to go through any difficulties. They'll move out of any, any scary area and try and find themselves a little rose cottage in the countryside uh, and only surround them by nice, polite English people. And they will put themselves in a place where they will face as little trial as possible. And you meet these people and they seem so nice, so kind. But they've never been tested. They've never been tested. And some people say, I've known some people in the past say, you know, I don't like Katie. Why? It's full of rough and tumble people. I go to Katie and I find that sometimes people are rude, angry, annoyed. Yeah, they're people under trial, <laughs> under test. They're not like you, living in the countryside, get your milk delivered to your doorstep and it's not nicked. Go and have tea with the vicar after morning communion. And worst thing that happens to you is when you get stung by a, a bee when you're cutting your roses. These are real people that live in the real world that are trying to follow God and therefore, then, therefore the tests are coming, they're under pressure and sometimes they buckle. But at least God is at work in their lives. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? And so God is at work. But the most important thing about all of this really is to know it's going on. This is the wisdom to understand what's going on. This sermon today and last week, I wish I could get to, get to so many Christians because the worst thing is, and we've been there, is when you're in a trial and you don't know what's going on. You don't even know that Jesus is Lord of this trial. You are perplexed, confused, fearful. You, 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 you become angry at God and you blame God. Very soon he's going to say, don't blame God when... Um, when, when tests come. In verse 13, he says, let no one say when he is tested, I am tested by God, for God cannot be tested by evil. The word temptation and testing, you can decide which way you want to do it. So, you know, very often, an immature Christian, and we've all been there, and maybe some of us are still there, very often the first thing an immature Christian will do with a test is blame God. And that's what they wanted Job to do, and he's an illustration at the end. They, his wife said, curse God and die. Wow, all right. Good job he didn't listen to his wife, eh? You know, and, and he said, no, I won't. The first thing, we do, the first thing an immature Christian will do is blame God. Blame God. But we don't need to blame God because often the trial, the trial that comes, although God allowed it and God will use it, he's not to be blamed for it. I mean, who did those things to Job? It was the devil. The, God allowed it, but it was the devil that was getting in there. It was the devil that was trying to destroy Job. It was the devil that wanted to do everything possible to make Job's life a misery. All right? God allowed it. Yeah, he allowed it. He allowed it so that the devil could be defeated and there'd be a victory and everything. like. And we mentioned all that. But whatever you face, if God allows it, and he won't allow anything into your life you can't handle. 
when it comes into your life, the first thing you say to yourself is, I can't handle this. (laughs) Naturally. Because you have to handle it with God. And God doesn't want you to handle it. God wants us in a place where we can't handle anything. God was speaking to me a little bit about preaching and teaching. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I have to be careful because I can handle it. You hear what I'm saying? I can handle it at a certain degree. I can handle it. What do you mean? I can preach a sermon. I can teach. I can handle it. And I thought, my God, I've got to get back. I've got to make sure that when I preach and I teach, that it's in weakness before God and that it's in reliance on God so that when I come before you today, it comes out of prayer. Not just I can handle it, but I've been before God saying, I don't want to handle it. And what you want to accomplish by this, I can't handle. And the effect of my teaching without you will, might be interesting in people's minds, but it won't change lives. But if you're with me, if I rely on you, if I know I can't handle it at the five o'clock today, and if I get myself before you and say, I can't handle it, not the way you want it to be, and maybe it's not quite where he wants it to be still, but if I go to him, I can't, I can't handle it, I won't handle it, and demonstrate that through my time with the Lord, and then I know that's pleasing to him. So sometimes when we think we can handle things, we're, we're all mixed up. We're approaching it in the wrong way. We need to get a chance and say, wait a second, you know what I mean? I'm This isn't the way that the Lord wants it. And so we don't want to be tossed and driven by anything that comes into our lives. We want to be in a place, and we will get there growingly, where we're secure, where, you know, God is with us, and where we understand that when things happen to us, it's not all over. On the contrary, it's only just begun. We may not be at the place where we consider it all joy, But we can certainly be at the place, I believe, where we can say, God knows what's happening. I need wisdom. You ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. He'll give it to you. Even if you don't get it in the way that you want, he's promised. Not just a bit of wisdom, generous wisdom. Just don't doubt. Just don't doubt. Don't doubt. If you get up in the morning and you go into that meeting, you've asked for wisdom and it's not been given to you, Don't doubt. It'll come at the right time. Why? Because your heart's open. You're saying, I need wisdom. He won't let you down. He won't let you down. If you need him, he won't let you down. But don't panic. Don't say he's not given me wisdom and then try and work it through human wisdom. Later on in James, James will speak about wisdom. He'll speak about a wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's the human way of manipulating situations that come their way. And normally, it's sinful. It's sinful towards God because he's not included. It's sinful towards yourself because you lose your integrity. And it's sinful towards others because um, it doesn't treat them in the way that God wants. It is sensual, demonic wisdom saying, I'm going to sort this out my way, not God's way. But then it speaks about another wisdom that is peaceable that comes from God. Because you can be peaceable when God's with you. You don't have to fight. You don't have to 
do it their way. You don't have to do it the, world, the way of the world if God is with you. But if you don't believe that God is with you or you choose not to do it God's way, then, and, and let's face it, I have seen Christians deal with situations in ugly, ug, more ugly ways than I've seen non-Christians sometimes. I have seen born-again believers deal with scenarios and situation in their lives that I know unbelieving friends who would never stoop to such low-handed attitudes, actions, and they're not even saved. So this is an important issue. When we come back um, next week, we're going to see this illustration of how people deal with trials and the temptation for the rich person to not trust God. A bit like I mentioned with the person with the lovely cottage with the flowers. The rich person has a temptation not to trust God because um, in the end, they've got Booper, they've got the best private hospitals. When they're ill, they don't need God. Whereas the poor person living in a country where there's no national health, in the end, they've got no option but to trust God. Which is more precious to God? It's the person who trusts. And so the rich people, the people that can, can protect themselves from trials are in a very dangerous position. But hey, there's some people, you've got no choice but to trust God. You've got, no, you got no choice but to trust God for your next meal. You've got no choice but to trust God for your situations because in that situation, you're poor in the world. You've got no, this is why, I'm just talking because we've got, but this is why when often when you go to places like Africa and Brazil, often you have such great miracles because the people there, they don't have anything. If God doesn't fix their teeth, there's no dentist and there's no money to fix them. If God doesn't bring that healing into their child, there's no doctor, there's no clinic, there's no, there's no inoculations that they can turn to. They got nothing. And so they come to God with that attitude and they say, I got nothing. God, without you, and God gives them their miracle. Problems like cultures, some cultures in Western Christianity is that you don't need God. You don't need God. God is your last port of call. You'll try everything else. God is last port of call. Why? Because there's so much other things that we can put our trust in. Hey, I want everybody to have national health. I want everybody to have dental treatment. I want everybody to, to be blessed and to prosper. But what we will be seeing next week is this example. It's just, if you're rich in the things of the world, you need to humble yourself walking around like you're somebody, actually you're in danger in God's kingdom. If you were a rich person, you're in danger of being a nobody in the kingdom of God. And hey, if you're poor in this world, God wants to meet your needs, but you are already exalted in his presence because you're trusting him. And, and, that, and, and like I said about these trials, it's not about who gets what or when the trial comes to the end. It's about what happens to you as a person during that trial and how much your faith becomes refined like gold and you become a testimony to God. Amen? Amen. See you next week. God bless you.